Well, we're going to begin this morning with a parable. Nose and hand were sitting in the church pew talking. The morning service led by ear and mouth had just ended. And hand was telling Nose that he and his family had decided to look for a different church. Really? Nose responded to Han's news. Why? Oh, I don't know, Han said, looking down. He was usually slower to speak than other members of the church body. I guess because the church doesn't have what Mrs. Hand and I are looking for. Well, what are you looking for in a church? Nose asked. The tone in which he spoke these words was sympathetic. But even as he was speaking them, he knew he would dismiss Han's answer. If the Hands couldn't see that the Nose and the rest of the leadership were pointing the church in the right direction, the body could do without them. Hand had to think before answering. He and Mrs. Hand liked Pastor Mouth and his family, and Minister of Music Ear meant well. Well, I guess we're looking for a place where people are more like us, Hand finally stammered. We tried spending time with the legs, but we didn't connect with them. Next, we joined a small group for all the toes, but they kept talking about socks and shoes and odors, and that didn't interest us. Nose looked at him, this time with genuine dismay. Aren't you glad that they're concerned with odors? Sure, sure, but, but it's not for us. You know, then we attended the Sunday school for all you facial features. Do you remember? We came for several Sundays a couple of months ago. Yeah, it was great to have you. Thank you. But everyone just wanted to talk and listen and smell and taste. It, it felt like, well, it felt like you never wanted to get to work and get your hands dirty. Anyways, Mrs. Hand and I were thinking about checking out that new church over on the east side. We hear they do a lot of clapping and hand-raising, which is closer to what we need right now. Hmm, Nose replied, I, I see what you mean. We'd hate to see you go, but I guess you have to do what's good for you. At that moment, Mrs. Hand, who had been caught up in another conversation, turned back to join her husband and Nose. Hand briefly explained what he and Nose had been talking about, after which Nose repeated his sadness at the prospect of losing the hands. But again, he said that he understood, since it sounded like their needs weren't being met. Mrs. Hand nodded in agreement. She wanted to be polite, but truth be told, she wasn't sad to be leaving. Her husband had made just enough critical remarks about the church over the years that her heart had begun to reflect his. No, he had never burst into an open tirade against the body. In fact, he usually apologized for being so negative, as he put it. But the little complaints that he let slip out here and there had an effect. The small groups were a little cliquish. The music was a little out of date. The programs did seem a little silly. The teaching wasn't entirely to their liking. In the end, it was hard for the two of them to put their fingers on it, but they finally decided that the church wasn't for them. In addition to all that, Mrs. Han knew that their daughter, Pinky, was not comfortable with the youth group. Everyone was so different from her, she fell out of joint. Well, Mrs. Hand then said something about how much she appreciated Nose and the leadership, but the conversation had already run on too long for Nose. Besides, her perfume made him want to sneeze. He thanked Mrs. Hand for her encouragement, repeated that he was sorry to hear of their departure, and then turned and walked away. Who needed the hands? Apparently, they didn't need him. Well, I think it's funny because, well, besides the bad puns, uh, I, I think it's funny because it's true. Right? It's so familiar to us. Why is it 
that people, including Christians, have such a hard time getting along? Why is it that we are so often forced to choose between diversity and unity? We come this morning to the letter of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the first century that was dealing with all kinds of conflict. And yet, when we read this, it's just that clear that human nature really hasn't changed all that much in 2,000 years. Is unity in the midst of so much diversity really possible? Well, it turns out that unity was never something that we create, but rather is something that God accomplishes in Jesus Christ. And that makes all the difference in the world. Look with me, if you will, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read the whole thing. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, to, should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? In fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, 
Also, those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. You know, even without having read the, the preceding 11 chapters, it's really clear just in reading this one chapter that the Corinthian church is experiencing conflict. Right? Throughout this whole letter, Paul is responding to different questions that they've sent to him. And here, beginning in, verse, in chapter 12, Paul is addressing the, the question of spiritual gifts. Well, what are spiritual gifts? One definition is that spiritual gifts are all the different ways the Holy Spirit might empower a Christian for ministry in the church. And it's clear from this chapter that there are a lot of different spiritual gifts. From what we see in this chapter and in chapter 14, it seems that it was the gift of tongues in particular that was causing confusion and division in their gatherings. So, so Paul uses this as an opportunity then to teach them about what it means to be a body. Notice that Paul's point in this chapter is not to give us kind of a, a systematic explanation of the spiritual gifts. Uh, these lists that he's giving us are not exhaustive lists, but they're, they're simply sort of ad hoc lists uh, meant to support a point that he's making. So if you're hoping this morning that I would be giving you kind of a, a thorough theology of spiritual gifts, I'm sorry, you're just going to be really disappointed. Uh, we can talk at the door after the service. I, I, I'll probably tell you how much I don't know about some of these gifts. Uh, but, but, but this morning, we want to focus on the burden of Paul's argument. And his argument centers on the issue of unity in the church. How are we to rightly understand the, the huge diversity that characterizes the church? And yet, at the same time, how are we to cultivate unity in the midst of all that diversity? So, we want to think along those two questions. And so, uh, my outline is kind of two points, valuing diversity and cultivating unity. Okay, valuing diversity, cultivating unity, and I got three sub-points underneath those two points. All right, so for you note-takers out there, that's, that's how my sermon is structured. Uh, so, let's think first about valuing our diversity. Okay, D- diversity is what makes unity challenging, right? It's not easy to love those who are different from us. So, you know, it would be easy to think that, that diversity is bad and that to be a Christian means that we all become homogenized. You know, we all become, like, start thinking the same way. But that's not at all what Paul says. Far from diversity being something to be minimized and suppressed, Paul's point is that diversity is a necessary part of the body. And as popular as diversity is in our pluralistic society, Paul has something far more profound to point us to. There is a theological reason for why diversity matters. Namely, sub-point number one, that our diversity reflects God's diversity. Our diversity reflects God's diversity. So we see this in verses 4 through 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, 
but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. When it comes to diversity in the church, notice that Paul doesn't merely limit us to spiritual gifts. You know, they raise the question of spiritual gifts, so Paul talks about it. But at the same time, he wants us to recognize that God is at work in all the differences within the church and the lives of his people. You know, there are different kinds of gifts. There are different kinds of service. There are different kinds of workings. And all of this amazing diversity comes from God. In fact, if you look down at verse 13, it's clear that our diversity includes our, our cultural and religious and ethnic backgrounds, whether Jew or Gentile. Uh, it includes all the different academic and vocational and social economic statuses, whether slave or free. In the church, God is, bringing, is at work in bringing together all of our differences because this reflects something of the nature and glory of God. This is what God is like in his person. Our statement of faith puts it like this. We believe in one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, in himself, God is not simply just one. No, God is one and three. He, he eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they work in different but complementary ways in this world. This is what God has revealed about himself through his holy word. And this is what Christians have believed throughout the centuries. If you've ever wondered just how incredibly complex and wise and rich and creative and deep God is, just look at the world that he has made. Right? He has made an amazing world. This, this is a world lavish with evidences of God's creativity and diversity. He, he wasn't content to just make one kind of flower or one kind of bird or, or one kind of taste. No, but instead God has made a world full of diversity and it all flows from his being. Think about the way God has ordered human history. Think about the way he has ordered all of our different individual lives. Just in this room of 400 people or so, we could spend an entire year just telling amazing stories of what God has done in our lives and how he has interwoven all these different strands into an amazing web of relationships and events and personalities and activities and gifts. Friends, all of this flows from our triune God. This is the God we serve. He is not a simple God. He is not a God that we easily kind of put in a box to understand. So we, we shouldn't be surprised then that his people are characterized by, by his diversity, that, that they reflect something of what he's like. You know, our, our lives have been created and shaped by a God who is infinitely creative and powerful, which means that the, the only thing strong enough to unite us is God himself. As God's diverse people, we get to reflect something of what he's like corporately. That, that's what's going on here. Which makes sense then why when we come to understanding what sin is, it's really the opposite of all that we've been talking about, right? The, the very nature of sin is to isolate, to hide. 
we love ourselves more than others. Right? The last thing, when we're in our sin, the last thing we want to do is put up with diversity. Uh, we would rather have everyone conform to our agenda, conform to our image, our preferences. People become obstacles or, or objects of our personal gain. And yet here we, we see a different way to live made possible by the love of God and Jesus Christ. You know, diversity is more than just sort of a, a feel-good slogan. No, we understand that it is the reflection of the power of the gospel in our midst. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. All right, so if this is true, then, then we really need to kind of examine our attitudes, don't we? Uh, what are the ways that we fail to value differences in the local church? Do we carry subconsciously expectations for what Christians should look like? Should all Christians drive a, a, a certain kind of car or, or take their kids to a certain kind of school? Um, should, should all Christians always speak gently or should they always speak passionately? Uh, do we expect Christians to, to all be outgoing and sociable? Or do we expect all Christians to be reserved and guarded? Now, I, I don't think any of us would ever say, yeah, you have to be that way in order to be a Christian. You know, we're, we're way too smart for that. But who are all your friends in the church? Right? Who are the people that you intentionally spend time with in the church? Are they all people who are just like you? If so, why is that? Now, what I'm talking about here is not simply tolerating each other as long as we don't have to interact much. Uh, no, it's recognizing that our, our differences are opportunities for us to show the world what God is like. That's why we're trying to be more intentional in giving members of this church a chance to share their testimonies. We want you to hear the stories of how all the different ways that people have come to know Christ and to then be in awe of the power of God to save not just you, but to save all of us. Uh, our diversity is a reflection of God's diversity. Second, uh, our diversity exists for the common good. Our diversity exists for the common good. Uh, this is what Paul writes in verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And then he goes on in the following verses just to list all the different ways in which the Spirit works for that common good. Now, remember, Paul's point isn't here to give us an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts. You can tell, by the way, this list here doesn't even quite match up with the one he gives us later in the chapter. But, but his point here is that in spite of how many different gifts there are, and there are a lot, uh, they have one purpose. They are given for the common good. This is what he's going to say again in, in chapter 14, verse 12. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. In other words, the common good that Paul has in mind is that the church is being built up, edified in Christ. That's why spiritual gifts and all of our differences exist. They exist for the good of the church. And we should be clear here, <clears throat> edification is not just making someone feel good or, or being entertaining 
or being efficient. According to Paul, edification, building up the church, is pointing people to Jesus Christ. Right? Colossians 1. We proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Now, J.I. Packer puts it like this. Edification is precisely a matter of growing in the depth and fullness of one's understanding of Christ and in the quality of one's personal relationship with him. And so, spiritual gifts must be defined in terms of Christ as actualized powers of expressing, celebrating, displaying, and so communicating Christ either by word or by deed, they would not be edifying otherwise. Now, so, so this is why God has made you the way that he has. God means for you to take all that you are, your, your history, your personality, your gifts, your energy, your resources, and use all of that to help others know and love Jesus Christ more. You know, I'm kind of learning this lesson in my own marriage these days. Uh, and it's coming on this issue of communication. Communication is hard in marriage, uh, as, as you well know. Um, it's not, communication in marriage is not just me saying kind of what, whatever I want, whenever I want. right? More often than not, saying whatever I want, whenever I want, rarely matches up with what my wife wants and when she wants. No, instead, if I'm going to be a good husband... I'm to take all my concerns and all my desires and all my words and make them subservient to the one goal of of loving and serving my wife. That means if I want to offer correction or if I don't feel like talking about my day or if I'm I'm really concerned about our finances, I don't just let my feelings dictate whatever I'm about to say or not say. Uh, Rather, I have to think about her. I have to think about whether she's in a place where she's ready to hear what I have to say, where we're ready to have a particular conversation. In other words, in all I do and say, I'm to intentionally look for ways to serve my wife and to to build my marriage in love and faithfulness to Christ. It's the same way in the local church. You know, God has given each one of us all of our own preferences and and abilities and personalities and, and gifts and resources And yet, none of those things have autonomy in the local church. Uh, The church does not exist as a platform for our own self-expression. No, rather, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then all of your gifts have been brought under the reign of Christ. And therefore, we want to give careful thought as to how we exercise what God has given us for the common good, for, for building each other up in Christ. So, congregation, pray for your elders in this. A a big part of our job is to steward the amazing resources that are found in this congregation. It's our desire to put all of your gifts to work for the good of the church, for proclaiming Christ. And most often, that will mean encouraging and training and challenging you to serve and to use your gifts and to be stretched in ministry. But sometimes... It will also mean saying no, because we don't think that that particular idea 
will serve the body well. So, so, so pray that your elders would have wisdom and sensitivity and love in this matter, uh, that we would know how to use this congregation's gifts to serve the common good. All right, third. The third insight that Paul gives us then for, for valuing diversity is that our diversity should not be ranked. Our diversity should not be ranked. All right? Um, and, and we see this in Paul's famous illustration there beginning in verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And then verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Look down at verse 27. Now you, now you, Corinthian church, are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Now, if Paul were here, kind of teaching on this subject, he would say to us, now you, Hinson Baptist Church, are the body of Christ. Uh, and each one of you is a part of it. Isn't that amazing? You know, everywhere you have believers filled with the Spirit, committed to one another, committed to faithfully proclaiming God's Word and, and observing the Lord's Supper and baptism, there you have a, a manifestation of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not in small groups or, or concerts or conferences. No, the body of Christ is manifested in local churches. And, and this image of the body is such a powerful image because it captures the truth that even though we are many, even though we are diverse, we have been brought together under one head. Even though my hand looks nothing like my eye and my nose does something completely different from my ear, uh, yet each member is absolutely necessary and indispensable. It would be a tragedy to lose any of my body parts. Uh, and, and this is how we should think about the body of Christ, the local church. But sadly, that's not how we often think, is it? I mean, instead, we do what Paul is illustrating here, right? Uh, can you imagine if your ear or your foot suddenly decided not to be a part of your body? I'm pretty sure you would be really concerned. Uh, and yet so often, it, because of our pride, because of our envy, we allow that to happen. We, we compare, we calculate, we rank, and we get discouraged. We, we just wonder if there's anything for us to do here in the body. We wonder if we even belong. Now, I wonder if we have any, any feet or any ears here this morning. Do you feel like you don't really belong? Um, do you find yourself comparing yourself to others, you know, wishing that you had that role or that gift? You know, it's, it's just... So telling that in, in Paul's illustration, the foot and the ear have become so fixated on this that they don't even feel like they belong. Uh, 
But, but of course, if they're part of this body, then, then that's ridiculous. Of course they belong. Well, but envy and self-pity have this way of blinding us to reality. So, so friend, if that's you, put an end to, to your ranking, to your comparison, uh, comparing of gifts. Know that, that if this is where God has placed you, then you can trust that he knows what he's doing. I'm not saying that you can never leave a church. But what I am saying is that you don't want to leave simply because you're believing in a lie. Because chances are you're going to take that lie with you to the next church. And you're just going to leave that church too. No, pray that God instead would show you how you might be used of him. But even before that, pray that Christ, God would show you just how, if you are in Christ, you do belong. You are a part of the body of Christ. And, and if, you, if you do feel like that foot or that ear, uh, come talk to one of the elders. Let, let us kind of hear where you're at, pray with you, and, and think about how we might kind of further connect you here in this body. Or maybe some of you here are more like that eye and that head in Paul's illustration. You know, you're a part of this body, but it sure feels like you're the one doing all the work. Right? You, you, you really just care about the other serious Christians who like to read the books that you like to read or, or who are passionate about evangelism or mercy ministries or whatever it is that you're passionate about. You know, if that's you, well, I hope that, that your pride is obvious. I hope that God's word is clear to you this morning that, that you belong to the body, yes, but so do, so do they, so do, so do these others. Um, if God has saved a sinner and united them to our fellowship, then they are indispensable. In other words, your pride is not just against other members of the church, but it's really against God and what he's doing here. Uh, the true measure of our maturity is not in, in kind of what role or gift that we have, but it's really in our love for the body. This is why when, when a new member joins the church, uh, when they ask me, you know, how can I serve? The, the first answer that I give to them is, hey, spend the first six months just kind of having a ministry of, of presence. You know, come on Sunday mornings, come on Sunday evenings, uh, begin getting to know people, let people get to know you, invite people over to your home. Uh, because what we value is not simply some sort of function that you bring to the church. No, what we value is you. You belong in Christ. And, and I trust that in time, God will make it clear how you are to serve. All right, there you have it. Henson Baptist Church, value diversity here in our midst. Now, isn't God so gracious to give us so much diversity here. Uh, individually, we should all be amazed at, at just how good God has been to us, you know, personally. But when we join up with a local church, we actually get to see just how great Jesus Christ is, not just in saving me, but in saving all of us. You know, to say it another way, the glory of God in the gospel is so great that it requires God saving not just one, but thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands upon hundreds of thousands of sinners from all different walks of life and then bringing them together in one assembly so that we might see God's glory. You know, we're going to see that in its fullest extent someday in heaven. 
when people from all tribes and tongues and nations are gathered to worship God. But today, we can begin to see that glory in the local church. So, so treasure that and, and praise God for it. Well, Paul wants the Corinthians not only to, to value their diversity, but second, to, to cultivate their unity. And that's what we want to think about next. You know, a church can brag all day long about how multi-ethnic and, and multi-generational and multi-gifted they are. But if that diversity doesn't result in, in unity and love, then it's meaningless. It's no different from the world. So, so Paul then gives us three insights, once again, to cultivating our unity. <clears throat> and first, we begin with the theological truth that our unity is rooted in Jesus Christ. Our unity is rooted in Jesus. Right, look at verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. You know, Paul here is not saying, look, guys, do you want to be a part of the body of Christ? Then stop fighting and start acting like it. That's not his, that's not his message at all. Rather, his point is, don't you realize that this is something that God has already done? Right? Our, our unity is not the result of something we do, but it is rooted in what God has done through his spirit. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Uh, some English translations even say we were made to drink of one spirit. No, it's just emphasizing that this is God's work, not ours. Your coming to Jesus Christ is not fundamentally because of your good morals or, or your wise decision making. No, it's because God, in his mercy, poured out his Holy Spirit on you. And by his Spirit, God has given you a new heart to believe in his Son. And now, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, God has, by his Spirit, united you to Christ and to his body so that you no longer stand alone, but you stand with Christ as your representative, as your head, alongside all of God's people. If you're not a Christian here this morning, this is our hope. This is the hope of Christianity. Though we have all turned away from God in our sin, though we deserve God's just wrath, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die in the place of sinners. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and never sinned against God. But there on the cross, Jesus Christ bore the wrath that our sins deserved. You know, we've been looking at this, this rich picture of community and fellowship. But at the end of this life, that's not what we see for Jesus. Jesus was alone. Jesus was forsaken. He was abandoned by his friends. Even more, he was forsaken by his heavenly father. That is what our sins deserve. Our sins cut us off from the goodness of God. And the punishment that our sins deserve was laid on Jesus Christ. And he died in our place. But praise God that his death was not in vain. In dying for sinners, Jesus exhausted 
the wrath of God. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that sin has been defeated. God has raised Jesus Christ as king of the universe. And one day that king will return to judge the world. But until that day, God promises that all who will repent of their sins and trust in his son, they will be forgiven. And they will be united to this savior. This is how you can be forgiven. This is how you can belong to the body of Christ by repenting of your sins and trusting in him. This is how much Jesus Christ loves sinners. He loves them as his own body. And he has given his life to save us. If you're not a Christian here this morning, this is what you need to know. Come, come talk to me at the door. I'd love to, to, to think with you about how you can uh, believe this, what this has to do with your life. I'd love to, to talk to you more. Brothers and sisters, this gospel message is the foundation of our unity. It's not simply the way we, we sort of cultivate our unity as if our unity were somehow on the line. No, if the gospel is true, then we have already been united in Christ through God's grace. Uh, Bonhoeffer puts it like this. Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. So, so let's begin there, right? Let, let's begin by resting in the truth that our unity is not based on anything we do. Isn't that wonderful? Let's not try to build a church around people who are just like us or people who, who have all the same gifts or people who think the same way as if the gospel were not enough. No, instead, let's build a church around Christ. Okay, how about this? Rather than, than keeping our, our relationships shallow and never allowing our differences to surface, let's instead go deep with one another and allow every conflict and every difference to become a sanctifying opportunity for us to fall back on Christ and to be reminded that He is our unity. In a congregation as large as this one, there are bound to be lots of differences of opinion. And some of those are hard, right? Uh, a young mom is offended by another mom's parenting advice. Uh, you know, a member is put off by, by this brother's expensive car that he's driving. Um, some of our older members can't believe that these young people walk in here with coffee cups, right? Um, I'm not saying that there isn't a place for, for loving counsel and for admonishment, but at the end of the day, all of our disagreements are an opportunity for us to remember that it's Christ who has made us one. Not our preferences, not our opinions. Therefore, we can love and forgive and, and serve one another in spite of all our differences. There's safety in belonging to the body of Christ. We don't have to walk on eggshells with each other in fear of saying the wrong thing. Yes, we want to work towards humility and love and understanding. But praise God that our unity does not depend on us. That's why we want to have a membership process that clarifies the gospel that we believe in. Now, a lot of people ask, well, where's church membership in the Bible? I think this is a great place to find it. Uh, but, but notice that it's only those 
in, in verse 3, who have been led by the Holy Spirit to confess Jesus is Lord, that are allowed to be part of this body. So, so it's wise that the leaders of this church have created a membership process that would allow a newcomer to hear exactly what it is that we believe, and then that would allow us to, to make sure that it matches up with what they believe. It's not enough for someone just to, to like being around us and, and like the music that we sing. No, if they want to be a part of this body, we have to make sure that we're believing in the same Jesus, that we are trusting in the same Lord, because that's what unites us. Well, if you're here this morning and you're, not a, you're a Christian, but you're not a member of a church, uh, I hope that you know, this, this is challenging to you. Uh, that, that it doesn't have to be this body, but as you think about your own Christian discipleship, um, you ought to belong to a church. You ought to be committed to a church, just as we see here. Uh, and if that means formalizing that relationship with a local church, then, then do it. Uh, be accountable. Be committed to a local church. Don't, don't try to function as a Christian on your own. That's not the picture that we see here in the New Testament. All right, second, uh, in order to cultivate our unity, Paul reminds us that our unity requires trust in God. Our unity requires trust in God. Well, th- this is true because we serve a God who is sovereign over all of our differences, right? So verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. You know, what Paul is saying here is not just that all the individuals are, are not here by accident, but it's also that all the particular ways that God has wired us and gifted us are also according to His plan, are also according to His design for the common good. So do you believe that? Do you believe you trust that God is sovereign over exactly who you are and that he has fitted you into this congregation. This is how Paul responds to those who are both being discouraged and being proud uh, towards others. So, so, so verse 18, in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Verse 24, God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. You know, the answer to our feelings of inadequacy or, or to our boastful pride is that we have to learn to trust God. And, and that's going to look like different things. You know, if you're feeling inadequate, well, well trust that God has made you exactly the way you are. Uh, you wish you were a hand, but no, you're a foot. And that's okay. God didn't mess up. He, he knows what he's doing. He, he has a, a role for you to play. You know, let, let's be honest. The role that he asked for you to play today might not be what you've been dreaming all your life. You know, you've dreamed of being a hand all your life, uh, you know, leading out in courageous acts of ministry. But instead, God means for you to be a foot, uh, supporting the rest of the body. You've dreamed of being a mouth and of using your voice to sing God's praises. But God seems to have gifted you as an ear to to listen to others, to to help others bear their burdens. I don't think gifts are static things. I think your gifts will look different depending on the context of the body that you're in. But the point is, 
Don't let your, your, your ambitions be shaped by kind of worldly concerns. Rather, let them be shaped by, by a trust in God's sovereignty. Uh, if you spend your life chasing after kind of worldly ambitions, you might find yourself separated from the body. Well, trust that God knows what he's doing. And, and similarly, to those who are proud and strong, who feel like they don't need others, uh, the, the same solution is, is a trust in Christ. Trust that the body of Christ is no accident in the, in the way it's being put together. Uh, God knows exactly what he's doing in bringing members who, who might be weaker, who have particular needs, who need special treatment. Realize that these fellow members are not impediments for you on your way to ministry. No, but in fact, if you are united to them in the body, they are your ministry. They, these are the ones that God has called you to love and to serve. And so trust God and give yourself to serving them. Finally, Paul gives us one more insight to cultivating unity. And that's that our unity is expressed by love. Our unity is expressed by love. Now, we've been saying this all along, but it bears repeating. In fact, it's so important that Paul is going to pause in the middle of this discussion on spiritual gifts to, to give us one of the most powerful descriptions of love ever written. That's 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll get to that in a few weeks. Uh, but for now, I just want to focus on this brief description of what love looks like in verses 25 and 26. There should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You know, it's not enough simply for us to, to talk about unity and to sing about unity, uh, or even for us to sit in the same room for a few hours week after week. No, what Paul is describing here is, is something far more costly and, and far more joyful. This is the commitment of love where our journey to heaven becomes a community project. We were not meant to go through the Christian life alone. And this then involves in sharing in both joys and sorrows. And both are hard to do, aren't they? It's hard to suffer with those who are suffering when you're not suffering, right? It's hard to know what to say. It takes time. It rarely falls According to our schedules, uh, there are often practical needs that need to be addressed. And, and sometimes suffering lasts for a long time. It's a long road to walk. And yet, if we're a body, that's what we're called to do. But you know, the, 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 the flip side is also hard. It's also hard to share in joys. It's hard to rejoice with someone when you're not rejoicing. Right? It, it's hard to rejoice with someone who has something that you really want. It's hard to congratulate someone for that promotion when you feel like you haven't gotten the promotion you deserve or you don't even have a job. It's hard to share a meal with that perfect family when you feel like your family is falling apart. But again, as a body, that's what we're called to. And this is one of the most powerful evidences to the world that the gospel is true. What did Jesus say? By this, all men 
will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, as much as we might be impressed by all these miraculous gifts that Paul is listing, you know, healings and tongues and and powers and prophecy, actually, according to Jesus, what commends our witness to the world is not those things. No, it's our love for one another. So, so how is our witness as a church? Are we loving one another? Members of Henson Baptist Church, God has placed you here in this congregation. Right now, today, we have members who are struggling with chronic illness. We have members who are rejoicing at the arrival of a new baby in the family. We have members who are uncertain about their careers. We have members who are retired from a very successful career. We have members who are praying for non-Christian relatives to come to faith. We have members whose lives are filled to the brim with work and family. We have members who are very lonely. We have members who are who have only in the past couple of years come to know Jesus Christ. We have members who are preparing to go into full-time ministry. We have members who don't really know how much longer they're going to be in Portland. We have some members who are struggling with sexual sin. We have members who, who work night shifts and therefore have really odd schedules. We have members who are really gifted teachers of God's word. And we have members who are really skilled with their hands. We have members who have no idea how to use their computers. We have members who have large sections of scripture memorized. We have members who would love to have a mentor. We have members who find it hard to talk to anyone. I could keep going. Each person here brings their own set of circumstances and gifts of sorrows and joys. And God has placed you with all of your unique gifts and resources here in our midst. So the question is, what is God up to? How does he mean to use you to build up another member of this church? How might you be used by God to deepen this congregation's love for Jesus Christ? No, it's no accident that you're here. God knows what he's doing. So the question is, will we trust him? And will we love his body? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for making us one in Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, nothing else could have done it except, of, except your grace. And Father, we pray that our lives, our community together, our gatherings, our, our, our gatherings on Sundays, our interactions throughout the week, Lord, that that would give evidence to the truth of what you've done in our midst. Father, we pray that our love for one another would commend the gospel that we proclaim that people would not only hear the true gospel, but that they would see it lived out here in this church. Oh, Father, show us how we might do that. We pray this in Christ's name.
Amen.